0: We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. Um, My name's Shirley. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is January six, two 6th, 2014, which makes me seven years, 10 months sober. Um, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to share, you know, some experience, strength and hope. I never know what I'm gonna share, but you know, whatever comes out, comes out. And it's, you know, it's my honesty, it's my life. And, um, you know, hopefully someone will be able to maybe identify. So, you know, I always start really at the beginning and, you know, that's where, you know, that's where everything began, the beginning. So I was born in London um, and that's where I still live in London, in the UK, uh, born into a very dysfunctional family. Um at the time and still growing up, I, I didn't know it was dysfunctional because it was my family. You know, my my mum is an alcoholic and my dad is a workaholic and um and I'm the eldest of three. So uh, lots and lots of responsibility on me. So growing up was difficult. It was really difficult. There was a lot of rules expectations. Um and that was from my mum really, you know, the alcoholic. I, it's it's weird because I, I very rarely saw her drank, you know, very rarely, but what I was on the end of was her her behaviours all the time, you know, so it was difficult. A lot of abuse, a lot of abuse. And, uh, you know, for instance, um, every morning for breakfast, it seems really stupid. But for me, it was a a big deal. There would be porridge and my mum made it with salt and I just didn't like it and I wouldn't eat it. And, you know, that, that bowl of breakfast would be there for lunch. It would be there for dinner. It would be there the next day until I ate it. Um, So I was force fed a lot. And at a young age, I think my, my first real addiction was food. And it was a lack of food. And I noticed that it was something I could control, that something, you know, if I didn't eat, I felt good about myself. If people said I looked small, I felt good about myself. And so that was really my first addiction. Um my mum's my mum's alcoholism affected me because if she was if she was in a good mood, you know, the kids were good, like I was good. But if she wasn't, you know, I, I just I just ended up being in my room a lot, you know, growing up or looking after my younger siblings. So I'd hide in my room and I'd listen to music. And it was back in the times where, you know, I had the radio on and I'd have a tape player and I'd record the songs off the radio and I'd learn the words. And looking back, it was quite obsessive behaviour, you know, and, and it was quite addictive. And also I'd hide in my room because then I wouldn't be told off. You, um my my mum would always say children should be seen and not heard you know so i learned to keep my mouth shut i learned to be a good girl you know um so growing up was really difficult really difficult and um but well, it was it was it was normal it, it, you know it was normal i didn't have many friends um i wasn't allowed friends no one was allowed to into the home um and going to school, I hated, absolutely hated it, because I felt different. You know, I felt, I felt different to everyone, and all these feelings were before I even picked up a drink. You know, I did feel different. I did feel lonely. Um, I felt scared, constantly scared of the world. You know, I remember being in school, and you know, teachers asking a simple question like two plus two, and of course, I know the answer, but just too scared to put my arm up and give the answer in case I got it wrong, in case children would laugh at me. You know, and and that was ongoing throughout my childhood. Um, it's weird because. On the outside looking in, my family looked pretty perfect, you know. My dad was very successful. My mum looked after, you know, us kids. You know, I went to gymnastics. I went to ballet. And uh, we were always well kept. But I I know. I know it was all a front. I know it was on the front because later on in life I did the same. So um, teenage years was extremely, extremely hard, Um, extremely hard. Um, There was a lot of um, expectations on me. I I went to um, a very well-known ballet school to become a professional ballerina. And my eating disorder kicked in tremendously Um, at the age, I think, I think I was the age of 11 and my weight had plummeted to three and a half stone and my parents didn't do anything about it. They did absolutely nothing about it. Um they didn't really care, to be honest, as long as I was doing what I was expected to do. Yeah, so teenage years were really difficult, really difficult. The eating disorder was awful. But then I remember at 15 discovering alcohol and it changed me dramatically. It changed me dramatically. It made me be able to have that voice which I never had. It it gave me confidence. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It gave me what I needed, and and it filled that hole. You know that that hole of being alone. I was able to go out with friends, and um, it was at a time when. You know, I could get into pubs and you just you didn't need to show identification. You just said your birthday. And if you were over 18, you got a drink. It was great. It was back then. But even on my first drinks with girlfriends, I went straight into blackout. And um, at the time, not realising that what blackout was, you know, I just thought that. I missed a bit of the night, you know. I fell asleep and then I woke up. Um and I was a blackout drinker from day dot. The the consequences, you know, were there from the beginning. You know, I remember friends being upset with me. I remember I can remember waking up out of blackout and they're hitting me, trying to get me to come around. I, I can remember losing keys waking up in strange places and I was 15 or 16 years old but it was okay you know it was okay because I always made my way home. So I finished ballet school at 19 and I'd love to say I became a professional dancer but I didn't because there was a lot of family stuff going on at the time and you've got to remember I was just such I was so disciplined that I just did what my parents told me to do and um you know my dad lost all his money his properties the whole lot and I had to go out and work and it's my uh probably biggest regret in life um that I couldn't stand up to them and fulfill you know my dream because I was really good, I was really good, so at nineteen, I went out to work um in a job I hated, but what I lived for was the weekend, you know, going out with friends and drinking, you know, and having it was my escape it was it was exactly what I needed you know so I didn't drink every day but every weekend I waited until that Friday night Saturday night and I could go out and just get completely smashed and that's what I wanted to do I never wanted to have one or two drinks I always wanted to go to oblivion you know um so yeah so 19 I'm still living at home and 20 right through to the age of 27 I'm still living at home my younger brother moved out at the first opportunity Uh, he moved to California um, and studied over there and my younger sister um, she met her husband who's now well he's now her husband she met we met him in Ibiza clubbing and and she moved out the day she was 17. So, but I stayed at home because I was still that little girl, that little girl who was, who was scared to do life. Who was scared. He was scared. I was just scared. So I stayed at home and, and I worked really hard. I found myself in a, a profession, which I kind of enjoyed, um, and I worked my way up. So I ended up being a, a manager uh, in a really quite high-end department store in Knightsbridge, and I was on good money, and, um, but still living at home with the rules and regulations, which was, which was tough um at 27 i met um my partner at the time and he he was a lot younger than me tw- um 7 years younger and to be honest i'd never had a boyfriend um i never dated i was quite backwards when it came to boys men and he liked me and I just latched onto that and um my parents absolutely hated him and one night they said to me you know, you either choose him or you choose us And and I had the courage to choose him and I got beat up that night and you've got to remember I was 27 I was a grown woman and I could make choices but I and I did make the right choice at the time. But I got beat up for that. And um thrown out onto the streets you know, and uh I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to go. But this 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 guy brought me into his family home and and we lived together and over time, you know, we 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 started a family and we started to build a life together, and and to be honest, he was my complete world. He had shown me how to love, how to feel loved, things that I'd never felt before, and and he was my it was my world. And the drinking you know the drinking was always there it was always there you know if i did drink it was always to blackout um but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't obsession it wasn't an obsession to me it wasn't at the time um you know i was very career focused and and building a home and in 2003 you know i discovered i was pregnant and again, you know that that fear of oh my God, I'm not good enough. I, I don't know if I can do this. But I did it, you know. And and I'm just, uh, and we were both blessed to have a beautiful, beautiful daughter in February 2004, um, Jessica. You know, and and she became my world. And she became my obsession you know it was all about her and her needs and and then at the time you know I I went back to work when she was six months old and and my parents had started looking after her but you know their issues took over um and the way I was brought up they started doing to jesse and and i remember i remember going to pick her up after work so i worked long hours and they wouldn't let me have my own daughter and i'd be at home crying because they wouldn't bring her home and i wasn't allowed her and it was all that control thing again you know they had control and i couldn't answer back to them and you know fast forward a few more years And in 2007, um, I had another daughter, Ruby, and this time it was going to be different. You know, I was, I was 32. So a a little bit more, getting a little bit more braver. And, and I remember going to my parents. Well, you know, Jesse's nearly four now and I'm going to. Looking after Jessica full time because I'm going to be a full time mum with Ruby. So I'm going to have a home. And I remember both my parents saying, you are going to do damage to that child if you take her away from us. And I remember leaving there so sad, you know, am I doing the right thing and questioning, you know, my ability as a mum? You know, I'd questioned my ability for everything my whole entire life. You know, I was never, ever good enough. But I brought Jesse home and I had Ruby. And, you know what, my life was perfect. I lived in a beautiful Victorian flat. Uh, it was near central London. I had the gorgeous um, partner. We've been together, in, what, six years now. Um, Life was perfect until April 2008, and that's when my, my little bubble burst, my life. It was, it was Wednesday, the 16th of April, and, you know, I woke my partner up to go to work, and I said, what's wrong with you? And he, he just said, you, you're the problem. And he walked out that morning and he never came back. I didn't know what to do. I had a six-month-old baby and a four-year-old. So I did what I was trained to do. And that was go back to my parents. And they said, we told you so. We knew. He wasn't good enough, and I gave up my whole life. And I moved back home, and I moved back home to rules and regulations. I wasn't doing things right. I wasn't good enough. I had a curfew if I was going out with friends. It was ten o'clock at night. I wasn't allowed to drink in the family home. And by then, my mum. I would love to say she's sober, but she wasn't drinking and she's still not drinking, which is great. You know, I'm really, really happy for her. But yeah, I wasn't allowed to drink. I wasn't allowed to do anything. And I lasted, I lasted six months in the family home. And then, um, I moved to where I'm living now and it, it was a fresh start for me and my children. I I I'd, I'd, I'd come to some acceptance that I'm on my own and you know what I just wanted to do the right thing so I saw I set up my family home with zero you know I didn't have a bed I didn't have a table and chairs I I had nothing and I and I set up family home I I joined um, a local church you know so i could meet people in the community um i took my daughter to school every day i brought the little one to like swimming and did all the things i should be doing in my head i just wanted to be the best mom i wanted to give these girls so much love because they didn't have a dad you know they just had me but the The sad thing is that the children the children went to bed every night at six o'clock, and every night I had a drink because it's because it's the adult thing to do. I was on my own I'd have a glass of wine, and it was all right it was all right as the children got older you know the I started being able to go out a bit more. But when I went out, things would happen. And it wasn't just losing my keys. You know, I'd go out for a good night. Just to let my hair down. But the consequences were horrific. I remember... when I went out for a drink with my younger sister she's six years younger and waking up in hospital in blackout complete blackout waking up and my parents are there and, and I'm screaming at them absolutely screaming at them and not knowing what had happened the night before you know but that night I'd had a, a a head scan. I'd been beaten up. That night I had been gang raped, and I remember going back to my parents on that Saturday morning to pick up the children because they looked after the girls. And I remember promising them that I won't drink, and I meant it. I'll never drink again. I'll never. The drink again and eight hours later I'm sitting down in my living room with a glass of wine because it was my way of coping with life you know over time um I couldn't go outside I couldn't leave my home and drink but the denial this is where it's this is where the insanity is I couldn't go out and drink safely, but I wasn't an alcoholic. That's the insanity. So my drinking ended up being indoors by myself, where I was safe. And, you know, it was every night. And. Um, And over the years, it went from a bottle of wine to two to three bottles of wine. It was every night watching the same film. It was every night blacking out and waking up in bed with my youngest daughter next to me, looking after me. And Every morning, waking up, why am I still here? You know, I was completely dead inside and and crying, just crying every day and phoning up my mum. Do you know why? I absolutely hated her, but I needed her. And waking up every morning and calling her saying, you don't understand what it's like to be me. You know, I could see everyone around me so happy. And why couldn't I be happy, you know? And and I I was still grieving, you know, the children's father leaving me. But not once did I think he left my kids too. Um, I was completely self-centred to the core. So anyway, fast forward a few years, drinking indoors, The consequences I'd love to say would stop, but they didn't, because I'd leave the family home. I'd go out into the streets of London to get more drink, and I truly believed I was a good parent because my kids were at home, and not once did I think, you know, there could be a fire. You know, there could be an accident, and these children, you know that. They're like five and nine. They're home alone. Um, I tried my best. I really did try my best. But I was so sick without even realizing it. You no, know, I, I, I was, What well, it was, I, I was functioning. You know, I didn't drink in the morning. I didn't drink at lunchtime. I hadn't lost my home, the children, my job, but slowly I was losing a bit of me each day. Every day I was losing a piece of me. My, my last drink was just like any night of the week. It was, um, Saturday. 4th of January 2014, and I had three bottles of wine, I had the same movie on, I used the same glass, the blind was down, it was dark, it was cold, I was drinking, the kids were in their room, I was happy, and again, I left the family home to get more drink, I came home, I drank more, I blacked out, I woke up. But this time when I woke up, it was completely different. There was blood all over me. My daughter Ruby was next to me. She was five, six years old. And I had to ask her what happened. And the night before, and that Saturday night, um, my daughter Jessie was scared of me. Nine years old and she was petrified of me. I'd become that abusive drunk who was angry, just angry inside. And, you know, I, I threw her out onto the streets. It was January. It was cold. It was dark. My mum came over to get Jessie. And I had a massive fight with my mum and um, a massive fight. And that was that's what happened. You know, mum took Jess with her, but little Rue wouldn't leave me. You see, that girl had become my carer like I'd become my sibling's carer. She looked after me. That morning I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Actually my, my I did know what to do. My first thought is where is the gym? And I looked everywhere for it and I hid it in the freezer because I was scared that my mum would tell me off. And um and then I phoned up my parents and I, I wanted Jessie to come home. And my dad came on the phone to me and he kept it very short and simple. He just said to me, you are such a sick young lady, you need to go and get some help. And if you don't, you know, we are going to get those children put into you know, the social care system. And I said, do it. Of course I didn't mean it, but at the time I said do it because in my head I was thinking, well, if I can't see them, you can't see them either. And actually it it wasn't, it wasn't in my head. I said it to them and my dad said, you know what? I'm willing to take that chance. And then over the next few hours, it was a blur. Sunday, the 5th of January, it was a blur, but a girl phoned me, a girl I went to school with and she, told me her story she'd lost her four children through alcoholism she was in aa and uh she was i think nine years sober at the time and um she said do you think you could get to a meeting well no i can't get to a meeting it's a sunday and i'm very busy you know but She got, she phoned up head office and they, they'd got someone to call me who reached out to me. Um, and I did agree to go to that very first meeting on the Sunday, the 5th of January 2014. And I was scared and I didn't know what to expect because I'd never, into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I hadn't really heard about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know anything about anything, to be honest. But I went there, and I can remember someone shaking my hand and asking how I was. And it had been the first time in years someone had said that to me. I remember a girl called Kat making me a cup of tea with lots of sugar I remember sitting down and looking around the room and thinking these people can't be alcoholics they look so normal and you know for me I th- I thought I'll give it a month and You know, these people can help me drink properly, teach me how to drink like a lady. Um, And in a month's time, I'll just go back to my normal life because in a month, everyone's going to get what's happened. And I'll just go back to my normal life and I'll be able to drink like a lady and everything's going to be okay. But I sat in that meeting and I heard what I needed to hear. You know, I heard that I suffered with an illness, um, alcoholism. You know, I looked at the steps, didn't have a clue about any of them. But step nine jumped out at me. And I remember going home after that meeting And ringing my sister, who I hadn't spoke to in years, and making amends to her. You know, I only declared I was an alcoholic two hours ago, and now I'm doing step nine. And the response I got was, well, what makes you say you're an alcoholic? And I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue. And she said, well, when you find out, then ring me up. And that was my step nine after being in AA for two hours. But, you know, that first meeting was vital for me. You know, I heard that, just keep coming back. And on the Tuesday then, I went to another meeting. And um, an old-timer there, he just said two things to me, and it stuck with me. You know, he didn't talk about steps and traditions and sponsorship. He just said, Shirley, don't pick up the first drink. You can't get drunk. Wow. And I questioned him. I said, but it's always the third bottle of wine. And he started laughing. And um, he said, but if you don't pick up that first one, Shirley, you won't lead on to the third bottle and he said just keep coming back and I did I did keep coming back and I did never ever pick up that first drink for this girl who was going to stay a month I'm coming up to eight years I always say my sobriety dates on the 6th of January because I don't know when I stopped drinking on that Saturday I'm sure it was um It probably went into the 5th, so I always say it's the 6th of January. So coming up to eight, eight years through Alcoholics Anonymous. For months, I just kept going to meetings. For months, I just kept sharing. For months, I just didn't pick up that first drink. After about four or five months, I decided I had to, you know, do what was suggested you've got to remember I'm very disciplined so I'm really good at doing what I'm told so I got a sponsor and it was a lady who I'd built a friendship with you know I could I liked what she shared about I liked the way she lived and I trusted her which was bizarre because I don't trust anyone, so I trusted her. And I remember our first meeting, she said, I'm just going to ask you one thing. Are you willing to pass this on? And, of course, I said yes, not knowing what she meant. I said, yes, of course. And she said, so we can begin. And, um, you know, it's it was an amazing experience. You know, we... I met up with her weekly, and we started going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We went through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, and we talked a lot. And we started with Step 1, you know. We started with Step 1, which was hard. For me, it was really difficult. It was really difficult. You know, I, I accepted I was an alcoholic. That was not a problem at all unmanageability you know the second part step one, how could I be unmanageable? you know I've got two children, I want a home, and it's not until I put pen to paper. you know the unmanageability wasn't about these things. The unmanageability is me you know if you know for instance um, I'm, if I'm feeling really sad, what do I do? And you know what? I pick up a drink. If I'm celebrating, I pick up a drink. If I'm angry, I pick up a drink. I'm designed to pick up a drink. It's in me, the unmanageability. It's how I deal with life. And that's what I learned from step one, you know. I am an alcoholic. And I always will be an alcoholic. My life was unmanageable. And you know what? It still can be today without a drink. But today I have the tools and I know what to do. Um, step two and step three, you know, coming to believe. <clears throat> I never had a problem with the word God. Not at all. And that's all it is, is a word. You know, it's a God of my understanding. Um I was a church goer, you know, catholic. I took my daughters every week. They did the holy communion. Um they went to catholic schools. But where, you know, step 2 and step 3 come into believe. What had happened is I'd always wanted to be part of something. So I remember at church saying to them, you know, can I join you know, the, the catechist program and, you know, helped the church and they always declined, always. I wonder why. I but it was, it was about a year into recovery, they approached me and they said, we, we've seen a change in you. And, what, and And I became a teacher of faith, you know, a Holy Communion program. And I did that for quite a while. But you know, I I, all those years I was drinking, I never connected. So for me, step two and three is coming to believe there's something bigger and greater out there and having that connection. And that's what it's all about. You know, I don't get on my knees every day. I don't at all actually. I, I sit down. And I have quiet time, you know, with the God of my understanding. So that was my first three steps and um massive three steps, a massive three steps for me. And then we moved on to, you know, step four, and I don't I don't know how anyone else feels, but for me I was petrified. Absolutely petrified. Because I've heard about this step four in the rooms. And I heard it was a big deal. But I did it, you know, I did do it. I did the column method. I'd done it how it's in the big book, you know, writing down who the resentment was, what it was. And uh, and, and I started, you know, in five-year chunks, zero to five, five to ten, and then the last five years, I've single years. And I remember reading it out to my sponsor in my step five. Hmm. I remember doing that. And, and you know, I, I, I give this example quite a lot because it shows you how my head thought and it shows me how important a sponsor is and how they put a twist on things. So in on one resentment, of course, it's towards my mum. And um, she carried a picture of this little baby in her purse. This little baby is six years older than me. And this little baby is my half-sister. Now, my mum was homeless and living on the streets of London in a train station. You know, and she had to give up this baby when this baby was ten days old and have her adopted. But my mum carried this picture of this baby. It was a black and white photo, and you could see the face was wearing away. And I resented my mum, and I resented this baby because that picture should have been of me. You know, and I'm sharing this with my sponsor. And my sponsor then said, How do you think your mum felt? And not once did I think of that. I can't imagine how my mum felt giving up her own baby. I can't imagine how this baby, you know, growing up knowing she's adopted, how she felt, you know, and, and that's the beauty of, of step four or five and sharing. this inner secret your your life with someone and then and then telling you you know the feedback on everything you know on the columns and it had all my character defects which I kind of knew I had anyway but you know what else it had it had which my sponsor again pointed out my assets And I've got quite a few. So for this piece of shit who can't do anything, is no good, I've got some really good qualities about me. I remember doing four and five and just feeling lighter. And I remember my dad saying to me, the change in you, Shirley, you've got that sparkle back into your eyes. You're back being that old Shirley. The old Shirley we know. And I said to and I remember saying to him No, you haven't got that old Shirley because that old Shirley's scared, full of fear, petrified. I'm completely new. Completely new. So you know, we went through the rest of the steps, you know. I asked for all my defects to be removed, and a lot of them have. A lot of them I still have, but I'm aware of them. Um, And then, you know, the list of making amends in step A, I put off my step four, you know, and and what I did, again, put them into columns. Who can I make a direct amends to? There and, you know. You know, who um, Who can I never make amends to because it's going to hurt me or my children? And, um, and then obviously living amends, financial amends, the whole lot. So I made amends to my parents and my mum told me to be quiet and so did my dad. So I don't think I ever really made amends to them because they wouldn't accept it. My little sister, I tried. And she wouldn't accept it either. My children are my children, you know. And they were young. They didn't really know what was going on. But, you know, my living amends to them is just being the best person I can for them. So along the years, you know, my sister never, ever accepted my amends. But two years ago... um. She did, you know, and as my sponsor said, you know, you've got to accept things, and it's not going to go your way all the time. And then it's in her time, and you know, two years ago she accepted my amends, and and it was it was it was sad because she said, Shirley, you were you were just the best big sister. You were like my mum. All my early experiences are with you. You took me swimming. You taught me how to. You, you you um you did everything for me. I made amends to my half- sister as well, you know that baby in the photo and then you know ten, eleven and twelve since coming into a. I've always been of service. I was a tea maker for years. I was a greeter. I was a secretary, you know, giving back what was given to me freely, you know. Um, I still have a sponsor. I did have a sponsee. Um, at the moment, I'm not sponsoring anyone. Um, 11 and 12, 11, well, meditation and prayer. Meditation has changed lots over the years, you know, for someone who couldn't sit with themselves at all, always had to be doing something. The last year it's changed and I'm able to sit down every morning. I'm able to do 15 minutes, 20 minutes without having to pick up my phone, without having being distracted, you know, just sitting there in complete stillness. Step 11 pause comes in quite handy with me, you know. Does it have to be said? Does it have to be said by me? Keep my mouth shut. It's not my business. step 11 pause, you know, and then passing passing the message on, you know, I still attend meetings. It was really hard during Covid. I was so against Zoom. I was so against it. And in the end, it saved my ass. And I've met fabulous people from all over the world. Zoom. Um, and through Twitter. Um, it's a great, it's a, it's a really good recovery based place, you know. I can, if in the middle of the night, I'm not feeling great and I put something up, you know, someone's always had to reach out. So eight years ago, drinking, living in London. Kids hate me. Eight years on, where am I today? I'm in the most magical place I've ever been in my life. I still have my two daughters. Jessie's nearly 18. We're looking at universities. She wants to be a teacher, you know, for PE. Um, We did six months of family therapy, me and her, this year. I wouldn't have done that without the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, Um, it was an amazing experience, you know, and it's brought us closer together. My younger daughter, Ruby, is fourteen. She's just a typical fourteen year old. Um, she goes to school, she's got lots of friends. And we have a great relationship. Um eight years ago I was in a job which had no I had no self value. I was on minimum wage, working minimum hours not really getting anywhere in life and just grateful I had a job. Eight years later, I'm self-employed. I'm a nanny, personal assistant for an amazing family. Uh, They've got two children who are five and seven. I'm so blessed. I'm really blessed. I'm really blessed. So, I um, had a relationship. I had a four-year relationship as well. It was with someone in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that finished last year. And it was all right, you know. We, I, we split up on good terms, and. This last year has been a discovery. It's been my biggest growth yet, really. You know, I'm coming up to eight years. I'm starting to like me, which is a big, big deal. You know, I I cannot love someone else without without learning to love me first. Um, I'm single. I'm very happy. My children are my best friends. Um, I have two little kittens who I absolutely adore. My, My cat died in January. Distraught, absolutely distraught. And I said, never again. But I noticed my mental health was really low. And we got the kittens and they make me happy. They make me happy. Life has been difficult in recovery. I'm, I'm, maybe it comes across it. It's all been lovely and joyous. And yes, I've been to amazing countries being sober. You know, Uh, I've taken the girls to Egypt. We've been to Malta. We've been on some fantastic holidays around England and we've had great times. Be really hard times. Um, two miscarriages in recovery. You know, a suicide attempt in recovery. Um, but I got through it. I, re- I have to remember these feelings are temporary. I do not need to pick up. No matter what, I don't pick up. The family I talk about, you know, I had to let go of them in January. I had to let go of them for me. So I have no relationship with my mom or my dad. You know, I had the courage to say, you are wrong. You know, as they said to me, all you are is an alkie. That's all you'll ever be. You will want you. And they were putting me down. I stood up to them. And so the last 11 months, it's just been me and my daughters. My sister, who I made amends to, we have no relationship either. She's in, she's an addict as well. And she is in the madness. And until, until... She hits her rock bottom. I can't. I cannot have a relationship with her because my recovery has to come first. Because if I don't pull it first, I haven't got my children. I haven't got my home. I haven't got my job. I haven't got me. You know. So recovery sobriety is number one for me. Ah. Oh. I am very grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. I am really grateful for the steps, the traditions, the people, the fellowship. It's a fellowship. I always wanted friends. Always wanted them. And where were they? You know, I was always for people and you guys were on my doorsteps you guys were sitting in church halls drinking tea and laughing you know I haven't do you know what I haven't got many friends because I'm really private really private person I like to get on with life but the friends I've got are amazing you know and when the shit hits the fan as they say I know they're there for me I know they're there for me Yeah. Life is good without drinking. Life is amazing without drinking. We've only got today. That's all we've got is today. For more information, read the first 164 pages of The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.